Blog Talk Radio. in Dallas, uh, Texas, on Friday, June the 2nd. And tonight we're going to talk a little politics. And when we do that, we always have our special guest, uh, Barry Castleman, uh, the Prairie Editor. We're going to be looking at both parties right now and how they stand uh, with respect to the, to the 2024 nomination. Some amazing things happening in the country and um, our best... Uh, our best uh, answer for those kinds of questions is our friend uh, Barry Castleman, the Prairie Editor. Barry, welcome. It's always great to have you. It's a pleasure to be with you. It's uh, it's it's fascinating. You just posted an article. Uh, I think it's at AMAC, right? If I recall correctly, uh, where you posted this article, where you published this article. But you were looking at at 2024. And the different possibilities tonight. I like to to look at both parties and see how you see the race at the moment. Before before we do, though, I just wanted to to put this on the table for consideration for the listeners and for both of us as we talk about this. At this moment in 1975, Jimmy Carter, who was elected the next year, was not even ranking in the polling data. At this moment in 2007, Barack Obama, who was elected the following year, was way behind, even further behind than DeSantis is of of Trump at this moment. And, of course, at this moment in 2015, nobody, including myself, thought that uh, Donald Trump would be nominated. So, Barry, I put that on the table just to remind everybody how things are going to change, Barry. Well, I think they are, and I... As you mentioned my piece, uh, everyone, I think, the conventional wisdom is that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris will be the ticket and that it's a foregone conclusion. I think it's exactly the opposite. I think it's extremely unlikely that Biden-Harris will be on the ticket. And I made a case in rather detail, with quite a bit of detail, of exactly why uh, Joe Biden will probably not be his party's nominee. Exactly, and we're going to talk about that tonight because I thought it was excellent analysis, as it always is whenever you you do these things. But let's look at the GOP first, and then we'll look at the Democrats second. This is a most unusual situation. I cannot remember the last time. I guess you got to go back to Grover, Cleveland. Uh, and that would have been over 140 years ago. Uh, the last time that a former president was trying to get his job back. I don't remember much about the 1892 election, but Cleveland did get his job back. 
And now we have a situation where President Trump is trying to get his job back, but I think he's got, in my opinion, a very tough opponent in Governor DeSantis. I personally have not uh, decided who I'm going to support, but these two guys have a lot to offer, uh, Barry. So how, how do you see the the GOP? Give me your assessment of that side of the of the race. Well, first of all, you uh, you forgot that in 1912. Former President Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt, ran for re-election after being out of office for a term in a third party, the Bull Moose Party, and actually came in second. Uh, And uh, so that you forgot about that. But uh, you're exactly right. I did. I did forget about that. I should have remembered that. But I was thinking about it. Grover Cleveland, but in a different context, because uh, I was reading something about him today, that on this day in 1886, he got married, <laughs> and there was a yeah. White House wedding. So that's why I had Grover Cleveland in my mind, uh, Barry. Right. Anyway, the Re- I think the Republican nomination as it stands now is between uh, Mr. Trump and Mr. DeSantis. There are... Uh, a number of very good candidates who have entered the race, some of them not so good, but uh, others, but I don't think they have the base of support, especially against Mr. Trump, whereas Mr. DeSantis, I think, who is a very underestimated figure at this point, I think has a very serious opportunity to be the nominee for his party. Uh, making the argument that the country wants a younger, less polarizing figure, and that Trump, however important was his first term, uh, is past his his expiration date. But we will see. Uh, There's going to be a lot of, we've got about 10 or 11 candidates already. And the debates will be very interesting. What's the, the Democrats, we can't talk about the Republicans without talking about the Democrats sure. at the same time. Sure. Because, sure. because as it stands now, they, the party Democratic leaders have essentially pushed out anybody who wants to run, especially someone like Governor Gavin Newsom, California. There's others. Uh, they don't dare enter the race at this point, uh, and there's a sort of a uh, an unwritten rule. But they're aching to get in, and it just doesn't. They only need, as I I listed, ten different points, and they aren't the only points. There's the major points, any one of which would lead to Mr. Mr. Biden withdrawing from the race mm-hmm. and and a new candidate entering. Right. Um, although the Democrats really don't have the kind of base or bench, as we say in baseball terms, uh, that the Republicans do. Right. Um, but I think the, the Republican race is, is untested. I think um, I, I, like you, have been paying a lot of attention 
to Mr. DeSantis. He's clearly the star of his party and has accomplished a great deal in Florida as governor. And more than that, has shown a lot of um, uh, spunk in dealing with the media, with the with the book establishment, and has shown himself to be uh, politically very clever. And uh, uh, I think the fact that everyone is turning their attention to him, including Mr. Trump, tells you how serious they take his potential. Right. One of the things that uh, I think one of the strongest arguments that DeSantis has, uh, Barry, is that he has turned a purple state into a pretty red state. Uh, I mean, Florida, for the last 20 or 25 years, has been voting Republican, I guess with the exception of Obama. And... uh, but it, it's been very competitive at the state level between the two parties. That's not the case now. I mean, in this last uh, re-election, Governor DeSantis really put the Republicans in charge in just about everywhere. And I know right. that he has also built up uh, a very good base of support among Hispanics. Obviously, the Cuban population likes him a lot. And so that, I think, works for him. He can say, look, I've done this. I, I have actually been a not just a successful governor, but I've been, from an election standpoint, a winning governor. I know one of the lines that Governor DeSantis uh, has used many times is, you know, we have to stop the culture of losing. And I don't know if that's really fair to say that, but it makes it's a pretty good line, Barry. I think so, too. And there are a few, for example, in Iowa, Governor Reynolds, Kim Reynolds, has turned that into a totally red state from being a purple state. Uh, So there are other examples. Uh, Texas, where you are, to some extent, has become a red state. Um, But no no state has seen the transformation and the level of success that Florida has. And the fact is, everyone... That's right. Right. There's a reason why they're going there. Yeah, they're going there because things are working there for people. They feel good there. And uh, I, I think DeSantis, I mean, I'm sure that if things were not working, they'd be blaming him. So, you know, I'm sure he, you know, that's just the way politics is. If people are moving to your state, then it must be uh, because your policies are good. But what when you mentioned Texas a minute ago, Texas became more red in the last two elections. We we had a little scare back in 2018 when Beto O'Rourke came within uh, three points of of defeating Senator Cruz, and and yes, the the Democrats made some gains in that election, but the Republicans got them back, and I think Texas is pretty reliably red uh, today, but not as red as. As Florida, there's no question about that. Now, before we get to the Democrats, though, I want to just ask you a few questions about the Republicans. Uh, Governor Christie uh, decided that he's going to be running. Not exactly sure where he's going to find a lot of support, but I always liked uh, Christie. I always thought uh, 
he was a pretty effective campaigner. And some people are saying that his mission is to take out Trump uh, by really challenging Trump in debates and basically going after Trump. Well, what do you think of that? Well, I always liked Christie, too, especially in 2016. But the fact is, he, he came up short, but he's a very effective public speaker. And I think he thinks his mission is to take out Trump. And he will probably be the most outspoken in the debates against Trump. And he isn't afraid of him. And so that will be, he will, uh, he will serve a purpose. I don't think he's going anywhere. And I don't think anybody else is. I mean, everyone likes uh, the other senator from, from South Carolina. Scott, uh, right? Senator Scott. Yeah, everybody likes Scott. him. He's a good guy, maybe a vice president. Yes. But the fact nobody else can win the nomination, especially if it's a, a race between if DeSantis gets in and it looks like he is, like he is in now, uh, it's really going to be Trump versus DeSantis. Yeah. Now, let me ask you another question about uh, the Republicans. If, and I agree with you, uh, Christie is going to go after Trump in a very aggressive way if they have debates or if, they, if he makes the debates, because they're going to be a little tougher this time around to get into the debates. But let's assume that he does get into the debates. Wouldn't that kind of aggressiveness against uh, Trump, wouldn't that actually end up helping DeSantis? Because then DeSantis won't have to do it. I mean, basically, right. exactly. uh, you exactly know, point. yeah, Christie will be the guy punching uh, Trump. Uh, so wouldn't that help DeSantis then? Yes, exactly. Interesting, yeah. So maybe that's the plan. You know, let's <laughs> let's help uh, DeSantis. Now, the other, the other person in the race, uh, before we get to the Democrats, we'll take a break and then come back with a whole session on the Democrats. The other person running is Vice President Pence. Now, again, I like him a lot. I've always been a huge fan of Vice President Pence, but I think his time is over too, isn't it, Barry? Yes. He's, uh, he's, he's been fairly consistent, um, but the fact is he doesn't draw a, a base of support yeah. in the park. That's right. That's right. And, you know, how about even ending up as vice president again is very unlikely also. I mean, that's not even in the radar, let's say, being somebody's vice president. I just don't think that would even be. Now, well, you all recall, of these... you recall, Dan Quayle ran for president after being yes. vice president, but nowhere. That's right. That's right. So, I, I mean, I've always liked him. I've always I've always thought Mike, Mike Pence was... Uh, one of the very best uh, men uh, in Washington, but unfortunately, that the way that administration ended, uh, I mean, I think Pence acted correctly on January the sixth. I don't think he had the authority to deny the count, the electoral count. So I think he acted correctly, but unfortunately, I'm maybe in the minority in that point of view, Barry. Well, I mean. He really had no choice. Mm -hmm. That's what I mean, yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. You're right about that. Let's do this. Let's take a break, uh, Barry, and then when we come back, uh, we will have a... Uh, oops, 
I got the wrong. We got the wrong music there. Sorry about that, Barry. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna take a little break and we'll come back with our friend uh, Barry Castleman right after this. Uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, uh, Texas, chatting with our friend uh, Barry Castleman, uh, the Prairie Editor. Okay, Barry, let's get into the really interesting part for me right now, and I'm sure for you too, and for many of the listeners, is the situation on the Democrat side. Uh, It's fascinating. More and more, I agree with you, or or I think you said, I, I hope I didn't misrepresent what you said, but more and more, I'm beginning to think that he's not going to be, that is, President Biden is not going to be the nominee, unfortunately, and I hate to take a shot at, at him, a personal shot, but he doesn't look good when, he's, when you see him in person. Uh, he just doesn't look good, Barry. Well, he's old and frail, and uh, he keeps falling down and mumbling and making little sense during his speeches. Uh, he's, after all, he's supposed to be the President of the United States, and we can't have someone who's perceived as an invalid running the country. That's right. And fact, what's interesting, he, go ahead. Go ahead, Barry. And there are so many other factors of, of which he can, some of which he can control and others which he can't. Um, he has decided to keep his vice president, who's even more unpopular than he is and is not perceived as someone who can credibly take the reins of the White House, which becomes a might even more critical situation in a second term. Uh, there's all the domestic issues. Uh, there's the practical situation of the uh, rearranged primaries that seem to backfire on the Democrats. Um, and then there's Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and Mrs. R- Ms. Williamson, who are basically unknowns and are getting 25% of the sport, which is unheard of at this point. And it can only get worse. Um, uh, there's very little the president, I think, can do to improve his situation. And there's a lot that can happen which can make it worse. And at some point, the powers be, maybe we've already seen that decision being made in the media and other else places, other places, the perception that he actually drags down the whole party and causes them to lose everything, the Senate, the House, and the White House. Yeah. 
Now, you mentioned in your article, and I'm going to go through some of these points. Uh, this article was published uh, yesterday or today. I think it was yesterday. Today. Over at, yeah, okay, over at AMAC, A-M-A-C, which is a wonderful website you've been publishing here lately. Uh, the first point you make uh, in, in you say Biden's renomination is in critical jeopardy. That's your point. And then you cite some reasons. First, within his own party. Um, does not uh, mean he uh, simply is not getting the support. You mentioned Robert Kennedy at, at 20, uh, 25%. But there's also the whole idea that he's not going to debate, uh, which, you know, you, you can get away with that if you don't have opposition, like Obama in 2012 or Trump in, 2016, in 2020 or Bush in 2004. I mean, you can get away with not debating when there's no opposition. But when there's a guy at 25%, you cannot get away with not debating, Barry. And and also, you can't get away with it while the other party is dominating the news with their debate, and you're nowhere to be seen. Right. Now, you make another point uh, in your article, very interesting, and there was some news today about this. I, I'm not focusing that much on, on the Biden scandal because I don't want to, you know, I don't want to come to a conclusion without something more definite. But you do make the point here about the increasing public uh, attention to allegations of fam- Biden family scandals. Look, I don't know what happened in that family, but the idea that a family would become so wealthy. Uh, that's something that, uh, frankly, a lot of people have legitimate questions about, Barry. No question about it. There's a lot there. And uh, as you probably noticed, how uh, the House committee subpoenaed the FBI file. Yes. Which were holding back, but they, under the threat of uh, jail of the, of the director, they released... The file, and the file is allegedly very incriminating. That's what I heard today. That's what I heard today, yes. So uh, we don't know any facts yet, but there seems to be a lot of controversy and a lot of allegations, and it certainly doesn't help the image of a president and his family. No. And again, look, uh, I, I like to give uh, the benefit of the doubt to people, especially when I have not seen the memo that you mentioned or other things. Uh, I have not seen them. And I don't want to be accusing people. I don't, I don't want the Republicans to make the same mistake that the Democrats made with Russia, you know, where they were running all these accusations based on a bunch of anonymous sources uh, uh, in newspapers. So I, I don't want to make that same mistake. Uh, with Biden, but just just looking at the situation, you have a family, you have all these people in the family who've come into a lot of money. Now, unless they won the lottery, I don't know what else they did other than have a, a last name that was similar to that of the president, uh, Barry. Well, that's, what, that's the appearance. Yes. Now, you mentioned in your article, too, about... Uh, the 2020 uh, basement strategy, uh, which was, I guess, pretty effective in in 2020, uh, it certainly kept them out of having to 
take a lot of questions from the media. If he was the only candidate running for renomination, then maybe he could, you know, get away with what they used to call the Rose Garden strategy, where, you know, the the president didn't do a lot of campaigning. But that's not the case here. He's going to have people running against him. So he, you, you cannot have that basement strategy anymore, Barry. I think that's what you're saying in, in your post. Also, he's the president. Before, he was just a candidate. Now he's the president. So he can't hide out. Too much attention automatically goes to the president and the commander-in-chief. There's no way to avoid it. Well, also, he, he's not very, I mean, when, when he does have an opportunity to say things or answer questions, Barry, he doesn't inspire a lot of confidence when he no, talks. No, he makes and mistakes. That's it. And that, to me, is the scary part. Uh, it, it's that, you know, if he would come out once a week and at least look comfortable or sound coherent, then maybe he could get away with a few appearances. But when he comes out and he looks like he does, uh, it's just it's not a good position to be in, Barry. No. Now, let me let me ask you one more question about this article that you wrote, because I think the last point you made um, was very important as far as I'm concerned. And that's the Biden foreign policy, uh, which I think could be the issue of 2024. I know everybody's talking about the economy and these other things. But I remember in 1980, when Jimmy Carter was running for, for re-election, how the foreign policy became a major headache for the Carter re-election. And I really believe it's going to be the same, Barry, for Biden uh, if he runs, if he's the nominee, Barry. Well, it could. I still believe that the economy will be the major issue, as it almost always is. But as you point out, um, and it was also true in 56 when Eisenhower ran for re-election. The foreign policy became dispositive in the, in the outcome, um, or in 52, as a matter of fact, when Eisenhower said, I will go to Korea. Um, I think that foreign policy is usually not a, a major factor, but of course, in the very uncertain world we live in, with an environment of of so much um, not only uncertainty but danger, Russia, China, from Iran, uh, people are, don't want to feel, especially with the threat of nuclear weapons possibly being used in the in the Ukraine war, um, I think people are very unsettled. And if they don't have a lot of confidence in the commander-in-chief, and there is somebody else running who does inspire confidence, then you're going to have a, a pretty predictable result. Now, there, there's also the Kamala Harris factor in all of this, because as you indicated before, she is, she doesn't get as much support. I mean, she's down the line as far as support. So how do the Democrats deal with uh, with Kamala Harris if President Biden says, I'm not running for re-election? And now she's, she's not a serious, she's not a serious alternate. 
alternative. So, so she wouldn't be. You don't think she would? I mean, let me let's say that you have a a nineteen. I mean, remember nineteen sixty eight when LBJ uh, at the end of March decided that he would not seek reelection. All of a sudden, Vice President Humphrey got into the race. Now I know that I agree with you. Humphrey was a lot more serious than Kamala Harris. But how do you get rid of Kamala Harris, given the identity politics of the Democrat Party? I mean, that's that's another nightmare. She has no support. She gets no votes in the primaries. She doesn't do well. I mean, Humphrey had a base. And, uh, when, of course, we had the Kennedy assa- second assassination, and uh, it got very c- complex, and there was George Wallace. But the fact of the matter is... Uh, Harris is not a serious factor here. Unless she becomes president, uh, God forbid, uh, between now and the election. Well, if that happens, then, of course, you would assume that she would seek her own office or her own uh, yes. election as, as president because everything would change in that uh in that situation, if, um, and I, you hinted in your article about uh, the governor of California, but if Biden is out and Kamala Harris doesn't have support, would the governor of California be the obvious choice? No, he would be a very, I don't know if he'd be the front runner. Mm-hmm. There would be a number of candidates, uh, the Peter Buttigieg, uh, Maybe Amy Klobuchar. Um, there's a number of potential candidates. I don't know who. None of them are really overly impressive, but there would be serious candidates. And um, I haven't thought that out. I've waited to first write the piece of it that I think that Biden will have to withdraw. And then I think we can think about who might get in the race. As I pointed out and I said a number of times, the Democratic bench, the backup in the party of of the generation who would run is not very strong. No. No. Now what about... Yeah, go ahead. There's also a possibility of Michelle Obama running. Right. Although I don't think she runs. But anything is possible. Right. There's also uh, a possibility, Barry, that there could be a third party, uh, another candidate. Now, those have not been successful in the past, although Ross Perot was a factor in 92. Uh, Possibility of maybe Joe Manchin running uh, on some kind of a label ticket. Wallace was a factor in 68. Uh, Ralph Nader was a factor. In 2000, um, there's this No Labels Party that Joe um, Lieberman has organized. Yes. And uh, Manchin is mentioned as a potential candidate. If he runs on the No Labels ticket, I think that autumn pretty much elects the Republican nominee, no matter who it is. Right. Yeah. Because that that would. Uh... That's right. That 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 would be very. Uh, that that would mean that 
the Republican nominee would probably win a an electoral college landslide, but not have the the pop necessarily the the, the popular vote percent, but definitely he would win uh, a lot of states, potentially New York and other states that are even California could go Republican in that kind of a situation if you have a third party. But the talk is that Joe Manchin would be a candidate, especially now that it's very likely he's not going to be reelected in, in West Virginia. So uh, I like Joe Manchin. I think he would be a good candidate. But again, uh, it's all about timing and being at the right place at the right time, Barry. Well, Manchin can't. I don't believe he can win re-election. Right. And he's not a fool. So I don't believe he will be running for re-election. So he has two choices. To just retire, and he's an older man now, or else he could run for president on the no-labels ticket. Uh, yeah, I, I'm going to, uh, you know, I don't like to make predictions this far ahead. But I think you're right. I think you called it correctly. He's not going to be reelected to the Senate. And if he wants to play a role in politics, uh, that's probably the best option. That would certainly guarantee a Republican victory. That's, uh, that's for sure. Well, Barry, I want to thank you so much for joining us. And I just hope that we can do this again, maybe as we get closer to the first debate, which I believe will be in August. Uh, obviously, if something happens in between, we'll get together. But the next debate is in uh, in August, and it's going to be in Milwaukee. But Donald Trump's not going to show up, from what I understand, uh, Barry. Oh, I don't think that's true. Oh, really? Okay. It'd be a huge mistake for him not to show up. Well, I agree with you on that. I completely agree with you, but I had heard he's not showing up. I don't also, believe, I don't believe. First of all, he happens to be good at it. I agree with you. And so, and number two, he, he can't afford to let ten other candidates blast away at him without reply. I agree. I completely agree. Also, uh, I was looking at some of the debate rules, and every one of the candidates on the stage has to sign a letter saying that they will support the nominee. Right. I think and that's a very... Smart idea. I agree with that. But back, remember, back in 2016, he didn't want to sign that letter. Or he didn't want to publicly say that he would. I don't think he can get away with that now, Barry. No. Yeah, I agree. And then we didn't mention tonight, uh, of course, some of the president's own legal problems, which uh, you know could become a factor as time goes by. I just think there's so many things up in the air, Barry that right now, who really knows what's going to happen? There's so far ahead and so many things up in the air that I'm going to be enjoying your commentary to stay on top of it, Barry. Well, I'll try and do my best. Well, you always do. You always do. But I want to thank you for your time, and you have a great weekend, and I hope we do this uh, very soon, Barry. We have a repeat of we this will. very soon. We will. Thank you. My pleasure. Our good friend, uh, Barry Kasselman, uh, the Prairie Editor, one of the best people at analyzing these political moments. And uh, again, I strongly suggest you check out his latest post or article over at AMA AMAC. And it's just a, a great analysis of where we are and the difficulties that President Biden faces 
uh, in his reelection. I mean, the, 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 it is absolutely great, uh, the article that he wrote and the analysis that he presents. Thank you for listening. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas. Just a quick heads up. On Sunday night, we're going to be talking about Mexico and Spain uh, with our friend Alan Wall. You may have heard that there were some elections in Spain, so we'll be talking about that and also getting an update on Mexico, as we always like to do. Thank you for listening. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas.